0: Buckle
1: up for an unfiltered dose of comedy.
2: Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect.
1: (laughs) Epics presents Unprotected Sets. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Renaissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. Listen to The Renaissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Live from the Dream Hotel in Hollywood, California, this is Lips LA on Dash Radio. Hey
3: guys, what's up? So for those of you who don't know, Anthony Kiedis has been the lead singer of one of the most iconic, greatest rock and roll bands of all time, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And we got him on the show today, super excited. In 2012, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, there's a million things to talk about with Anthony. So super excited to have him here. He's uh, just walking in the studio now, and we're going to get right to it. Thanks so much.
2: What's up, you guys? This is Jessica Michel, and you're listening to Scott Lips on Lips LA.
3: Hey, guys. We're here with a man who needs no introduction, a friend, and one of the greatest singers mm-hmm. of all time, and my good friend, Anthony Kiedis. How are you, brother?
2: I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I'm going to have to quantify that uh, opening statement there. I have a feeling that there are thousands of better singers that we've never even heard of.
3: Well, you're my you're my friend, and that's how I feel. So that's what I'm going to say. There you go. So yeah, Thank so. Thank you. So um, there's so much to get into with you, um, and I appreciate you coming down. So I, I think, you know, we can spend hours, but because you don't have hours, I, I want to kind of take it back to the beginning. Um, I mean, you grew up in Michigan, and obviously, musically, I know, you know, they had a lot of different influences, which led us to where we are today. And I want to talk about, um, from the from the day you started, you know, playing music, and you knew that it was something you were going to do, kind of your... Your biggest passions in life, I know you had P Funk, you had you know George Clinton, you had a lot of different musical influences, which kind of led us to what eventually became you know the Chili Peppers. Mm. Which which are the artists that you feel like really inspired you the most to do? Because it was punk, I know you were into punk, and I know you were into. George Clinton and Blondie and all kinds of oh. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but are there are certain ones that stand Because you also had a, a funk thing that a lot of bands in the mid-'80s, when you came out, weren't doing. And I feel you guys are very innovative in merging these sort of cultures. Even hip-hop-wise, your singing style was innovative, I thought, at the time.
2: Yeah, well, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five lit a fire under me at uh, age 19 or 20 or something. But as I was being inspired by music since childhood, uh, and influenced by life around me from childhood. I had no idea that it was going to end up in, a, in my own art form. Um, that was all quite accidental. And the 80s, oddly enough, were a very prolific time for funk music. There was all kinds of weird hybrid funk going on, from uh, defunk to you know early hip-hop, uh, Sugar Hill Gang, and the Commodores There were all these weird, funky bands that... Um, touched me in a way but i wasn't thinking "Ooh, i want to be a funk guy or i want to be a musician yeah i was just hanging out and then uh, in high school punk rock kind of came to the usa and i just by chance stumbled into um an auditorium where uh, devo and the germs and all oh, these cool. bands were playing and i was like okay this is in fact the future i was just looking at it yeah and, you know, sometimes when you're, especially when you're young, you can kind of get your finger up inside the pulse of the musical womb. And yeah, like I said, I wasn't thinking, "Ooh, I, I need to learn about this because one day I'm going to be able to apply it. It's yeah. just like you're a sponge and you soak it up. You absorb and everything. One day in a living room with your homies, they're like, "Ooh, let's, let's try to write a song and it just comes pouring back out. So. Yeah,
3: because you went to high school with Flea You went to Fairfax High, I believe, right? Yeah, and Hillel and, and Hillel. Jack Irons. Right, we
2: were all in the same class.
3: So rare that like classmates form a band that's around for so many years and do so well, right? And <laughs> it happens. It I think happens. I
2: think the Kinks were a school band, oh. who, you know. I and
3: mean, I, I read somewhere, which I didn't even know, that you, you you worked with the drummer at some point. I think the second record, first record, Craig, who was in the Weirdos, right? Uh, you
2: were talking about Cliff. Cliff, sorry. Yes. Cliff was in The Weirdos. Cliff was um, a gun for hire. He was in so many good bands. I think he uh, he played with um, Don Van Fleet. Okay. Um, the Weirdos, possibly The Screamers, uh, The Dickies. He was in okay. The Dickies and, oh. and then he came and played with us and was amazing and If not for the fact that our original drummer, Jack Irons, wanted to do something else. Well, no, rejoin. Oh, right, right. right, After Hillel rejoined, Jack was like, oh, maybe I'll rejoin. Yeah. And that's the only reason we asked Cliff to step down because we got our high school guy
3: back. Yeah, it's amazing. And you guys have maintained these friendships. You're truly, I love how you have this brotherhood and it's real, right? And it's like, (laughs) no, but it's real. I mean, you and Flea have been friends since high school. But, I mean, I see, like, there's no wavering in that friendship. That friendship seems to be as strong as ever, which is so rare. Me and my best friend, like, maybe we fight a little bit, but...
2: Oh, we, we fight. We fight. But, but we you fight. don't really see it. Oh, we it. fight. You don't see we fight. It. We I are brothers. Brothers, yeah. brothers fight. Yeah. But, that's, that's, it's, like, lifelong, like, I love you, and now I have to beat your ass. But, you're as, but you're, I love
3: you. you're as close with him now as you've ever been, I feel. Like, it seems like...
2: Yeah, still close. Still close with Jack Irons. Yeah.
3: Um, and Chad and all the guys. All the guys. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. So, all right. So, yeah, there's so much to get into. And I want to talk about a little bit about your new record and Dark Necessities and and all the stuff that went into that and working, obviously, with Danger Mouse. Um, The writing process you and I have spoken about a little bit is so much different for this new record, right? Because I know that Brian... He, you know, lays beats down and starts with beats and pieces Mm -hmm. things together versus just like getting in a room and playing from years ago. Yeah. So, and I know you're starting to rehearse now and, you know, do a new record eventually, I'm sure. So is the process now, uh, because I have so many interesting things I read about that I didn't know about you being uh, your friend, but that I discovered along the research way. Maybe I'll discover something. You'll discover some things too, like... The fact that you guys had almost a full record done when you started doing the last record and Brian came in and said, let's write some songs in the studio from scratch. And I believe that from what I was listening to, Chad was saying how you guys have written like six or seven songs and a bunch made it on the new record. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me about the writing process now or with someone like Brian, how it used to be working with Rick and how it's different because obviously... You know, experimenting and doing new things and evolving has always been something you guys have been doing. So
2: it is, and obviously, when you hire Brian slash Danger Mouse, you're hiring a, a person that you know works differently than you're used to working, and that is part of the attraction. Um, but at at the beginning of all writing and creative processes, the band in a room together jamming. We'll jam and we'll jam and we'll jam and for hours, for hours, and, and beautiful things happen. And when they do, I try to capture them and remember this is something I want to put vocals on. And then, so yeah, we had 20 some odd songs when we met danger mouse and, and he listened carefully to every note of every song. And he's like, eh, there might be, you know, eight or nine of those worth keeping in my opinion, which is pretty beautiful for a guy to yeah. step in and be that honest and say, I'm not that interested in the other 20. Right. Um, and we're kind of looking at you go. those are our babies. Are you sure you want to just toss those out? Yeah. But that's that's the beauty of brian is he's not afraid to say when he doesn't like something when he does like something
3: yeah and had it which were the ones that you wrote that were new to the process when he came in after he said that
2: um so the new songs that were written in studio dark necessities was something that uh was born in the studio with brian i think the line existed and um yeah then we just started piecing that puzzle together Probably half and half. So, half yeah. the songs we had before and half we wrote with Brian in the studio.
3: And is this writing process for you vastly different and more interesting? Because obviously it's a whole different way to work, right? Because it's, it's and I know we had spoken about it before, but even, you know, his, his uh, background being in NARS Barkley and a lot of his mm-hmm. hip hop influences and things like that, it's just a different um, take on things. So,
2: yeah, it's not vastly different. We're still writing a song, we're just doing it a little bit faster and, and starting with. Maybe uh, Brian would suggest, you know, Chad, play something from James Brown, you know, circa 1965. Right. And and just keep playing that over and over and then flee if you get an idea, jump in. The thing for me is it, I have to write my part really fast because we're in the studio recording a record and they'll give me what they did that day and say, OK, go home and come back tomorrow with great song. So the pressure cooker is on. But I don't mind that because I'm a procrastinator to, by nature mm-hmm. and it's, I'd rather write the song on the way to the studio than have a month to go think about it. And
3: I know you're an avid bike rider, so do you put, do you put the music in your earphones, you ride it on your motorcycle on PCH and do you come mm-hmm. up with lyrics like that or is it some other way? I mean, what's the best way that you've learned every to write po- Every
2: possible way at your disposal. Uh. You I can. never
3: see you jotting things down. So, you know, they're not like you're not just writing things along the way where you come. It's just more when you're at home, you're in solitude, you're writing
2: things. Or is uh, that... I, I'm a very sly jotter. You are. Okay. Yes. I've never no, done. no. I jot on planes. Oh, I, okay. I, I jot on trains. On the bike, I'll, I'll pull over. Like if I start getting a melody in my head that oh, okay. I like, I'll, I'll pull over and get out the, the stupid phone. And oh, okay recorded into the phone
3: you listen to the tracks when you're on the motorcycle like some um, music sometimes i
2: i do it's it, it was easier when i rode a a bike that had a cd player and okay. i could listen to it outside of headphones yeah like my old harley Davidson yeah, yeah. had this big speaker system and now i'm on a bmw and it's a little more high tech but the car still works for me i love riding in a car cool. you can pull over in a dirt parking lot somewhere and just get down with your pencil and paper
3: yeah and what is it i mean obviously there's so much that you pull inspiration from, um, I know that you're really connected to the sea and surfing, and you're an incredible father and things like that, but are you pulling <clears> inspiration from the same places today that you were years ago, or has it changed for you, do you feel?
2: I, I'm I'm not prejudiced when it comes to inspiration. Like, sometimes the more obvious pools of inspiration don't interest trust me. It's like, I love my son more than anything on earth. Yeah. I'm not going to write a song about him. Right. It's just like, yeah. may, maybe at the breakfast table, I'll yeah. sing him a song about yeah. what he's up to, but... Yeah, pain is a better source of inspiration. Suffering is a better source of inspiration. Um, Difficulty is a better source of inspiration. Those kind of emotions tend to come out. Uh, On the last record, um, Josh had this beautiful little uh, chord progression and uh, Robin Williams died. Right. And I was so, for some weird reason, affected by that. Like he felt, when he left this earth, I felt like we lost the energy of a saint. Yeah. He was such a giver and <clears throat> as messed up as he might have been or as, if you didn't like his comedy, whatever, his, his whole vibe was just to make the world a better place, I felt. Definitely. And so I was stricken with grief over the loss of someone that I was not close to. And, uh, and I ended up writing a song about uh, not judging people for killing themselves because they're in so much pain that you can't even comprehend. Like maybe it was a miracle that he got 65 years yeah. on this earth surviving with that pain and raising his family with that pain so when he finally checked out i was like let's just let's not judge him for that Like we don't know what he was going through
3: by the way that's what i was gonna say you never know what people are going through you don't know yeah you don't know i mean what song was that
2: uh it didn't make it to the record oh okay but i was gonna jump to that song but no 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 i'm just saying like the pools of inspiration yeah like yeah the ocean is i'd rather be in the ocean than right here right now yeah but well, I, luckily, you probably already surfed this morning. So. I I didn't. Okay. I, man, it was go, was working. The waves okay. were on today. Okay, I, I might go straight to the uh, the break for here. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I, I it's funny because for those of you who don't know, and I'm I'm quite sure no one knows. Um, I met Anthony years ago, but he doesn't remember because I was like delivering packages <laughs> I to your remember. house. Well, I was like the intern at for Lindy Getz, who was your one of, uh, your first manager. Would you yeah, say yeah, first and first
2: very. Um, seminal instrumental yeah, Key figure in our lives at that time
3: Yeah and there was like just me And one other girl who worked in the office at the time And I think he had Candlebox too And it was the Dave Navarro One Hot Minute era Right So I want to say 94 Okay Probably 94
2: Yeah, yeah. Not my best era but yeah.
3: yeah And I would like I think I delivered a package to Flea And I remember him answering the door in his underwear Playing mm. a tuba or something and, and a, a tuba? Or a, a big I don't know what a it was A big horn It was a horn I don't know what yeah, kind I mean of. he plays trumpet it was He a, plays flugel horn It was a big horn I can't hmm. remember. It's going back on, but anyway, that was where I, That's actually where I first met you. Um, and I. But I know that Flea's really into jazz, so I'm sure it was some kind of jazz thing he was listening to, Charlie Parker or something. And could um, be, yeah. One thing you and I never spoke about. My uncle played in Charlie Parker's band. What? It's pretty cool. Yeah, Red Rodney. He's what? Yes. If you ever see Bird, my uncle was the albino redhead in his band, Red Rodney. What did he play? He's, he played flugelhorn. and trumpet so pretty cool wow Um, so yeah so I want to talk about the video Uh, Olivia Wilde directed the video Mm. jumping all around Mm. here um, for Dark Necessities and how did you come about to use her I I mean it was an interesting choice the video was great Um, how did that all happen
2: so we did not necessarily seek her out it wasn't like we were familiar with her work and went after her um that was the first video and we probably got 20 different treatments and you know we on some level we have to all agree or at least sort of agree and after reading all the treatments and kind of looking at the reels of all these directors hers was kind of the best for us wow and um it was one of those excuse me rare moments where flea and i agreed quickly and easily on something and then she got a yeah, everyone was just kind of singing her praises, people that we respected, other directors and the record. Like, she's actually really good at what she does, and and she was. I think she did a, a damn fine she did job. Did a great job, yeah. And her editor was spot on, and it kind of holds up. Like, you know, yeah. I check on these videos every now and then to see how they're doing, and hers really holds up well. It was uh, the beginning of a, a little bit of a a wave of female directors that was not intentional but as it turned out every girl or every video on the record was directed by a female amazing yeah from totas yeah from iceland and um beth jeans houghton okay did the animated video for sick right yeah so that's great
3: yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great video, um, and I think, uh, what a great record, and a departure, a little bit. I mean, I was thinking about your videos just right now, I was thinking about giving it give it away, and uh-huh. uh, that video really stands up, because I remember seeing that not too long ago. Uh-huh. What a great video. St- Stéphane Sednary. One of the best photographers in yeah. the world, who yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It's, uh, you've always had a, a great eye for aesthetics, even back in the day when you started, I think your first gig was, or one of your first gigs, it was like at the Kit Kat Club or something years ago. And I remember you guys used to wear socks. Mm, it was like a thing. Yes. So the imaging of the band, everything to where you are now. It's like, what was the thought process behind that years ago? Was it just like, we're just kids. We're just getting out there. And yeah, we, were, we just want to be outrageous as possible. And that's like, kind of
2: I, we were just going with the moment. We weren't thinking about branding or imaging or anything at all, other than just being outrageous and having fun and leaving a mark and <coughs> letting our freak flags fly, really. Yeah. So that's
3: always been about you guys have always been about having fun on stage. I mean, it's such a great live show, and you're one of the bands that always plays like all your greatest songs ever. Which I have to, uh, you know, I, I give a lot of respect to that because sometimes like I'll see whatever, I'll see Radiohead and I won't know any of their songs. And I'm a Radiohead <laughs> fan, I'm like, can you just play like the Benz or OK Computer or something? Uh, um,
2: I, I love both. I, I love bands that uh refuse to play their hits and then. You know, sometimes you just gotta give the people what they want.
3: Well, sometimes you do. Co- you did, I know you just did a Hendrix cover the other night, right? You did we the did. benefit. So, cool. yeah, yeah. you've done "Access, Bold as Love" before, I think, right? Have we? No,
2: I don't think we have. No. Oh, I no, thought you had. We did uh, "Castles Made of Sand," "Fire," "Crosstown Traffic." A lot of Hendrix. Some, Some Hendrix. House, yeah. But we also did a Almond Brothers band song the other night. Oh, cool! <clears throat> which was way out of our yeah. wheelhouse. What song? Ramblin' Man. Oh, very. I wish I would have seen that. Written by Dickie Betts. So cool. he he, um, he fell on his head two weeks ago and had brain surgery. Oh, wow. And recovered. But that inspired me to want to yeah. lo- look into a Dicky Betts song. And so we learned it, played it, it was fun. That's cool. Well, talk about a little bit about the charity that you're involved
3: with in, um, uh, the Silver Lake Conservatory and the schools and all the yeah, stuff you do. Because not- it's
2: a. It's not really a charity. It's a school. It's a school. It's a but, school.
3: But you do this benefit every year or so. Annual benefit. Annual benefit. Yeah. You've had like Metallica or whoever I love. We you know.
2: haven't had Metallica. They owe us a show.
3: Oh, I yeah. thought that they played Metallica. They haven't. They oh. haven't. But okay.
2: in, in theory, they're signed up <laughs> to right. play. Was uh, this a
3: Mo Austin tribute I read about? This or? was. So okay. every,
2: every year we have we try to honor somebody, which is just kind of a way of getting momentum and rallying the troops. But uh Mo at age ninety one, who gets asked to do stuff all the time, and says, eh, "I'd rather not, thanks." Yeah, agreed to do this for us, and so we honored Mo Austin, who started Reprise Records and actually signed Jimi Hendrix and yeah. Neil Young and worked with Frank Sinatra and very historically important icon of the music industry. And work
3: with you guys because he a did. More, he signed yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He signed yeah. us. Uh, Can't forget that. No, we'll <laughs> never forget that. We
2: we had actually someone offered us a bigger check, and we went with the bigger check. And then Mo called Flea and I to congratulate us on the great record deal we got with another record label. And we're like, who does that? Who's
3: who, we, who did you sign with initially? Uh, Epic. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, we were so touched by Mo's gesture. He's like, whatever you do, just go make a great record because that's what really matters. And yeah. we're like, oh, we like you. We'll, we'll jump ship. Yeah. And, uh, and the rest was history. Our next record was Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So Mo was there, <clears throat> a lot of great artists donate um, beautiful art, paintings, photography, yeah. and, uh, and we raise a lot of money, and it's important because that school services 1,000 kids Amazing. in Los Angeles that don't have... Music education in in public school or anywhere else,
3: and you do that like once a year. If somebody wanted to donate to that, they just go on the site for Silver Lake Conservatory and donate. Is that Silver
2: Lake Conservatory of Music? Donate, come down, check it out, bring your kids, sign up for the choir. You know, just check it out.
3: I love it. Yeah, I was uh, I was listening to a great story that you guys were talking about the other day when um, we were talking. Someone was talking about generational,ly like how you know kids come to your shows to parents and. I don't know if it was you or Chad said. Well, that's because someone said, "Oh, you know, did you know that Will Farrell plays in the Chili Peppers?" So one of you guys said that story about that. Like some some kid said that, and um, obviously one of the greatest drummers of all time, Chad, <laughs> ever. And I think your sound also really evolved when he joined the band. Um, and I think uh, it's it's just uh, uh, every time I see him, I'm mesmerized by how great he is. And and you you're you're I think almost like there was. The sound almost became a bit more, almost like radio friendly when he joined the band too. Would you say that kind of because it kind of just add another dimension to the sound of the it, band?
2: Yeah, he definitely made it maybe more accessible in some way. Yeah, um, he's a great musician. Incredible. Like, besides just being a great drummer, he's just you know he is music and he lives for music and you know there's there's all varieties of um, art. Like sometimes it's the raw spirit of an individual and they don't even have to be great at their instrument, but their spirit is so on fire that whatever they do is just contagious and you want to be a part of it. And then there are these prodigies that are kind of born genetically predisposed to math and music and they're just advanced from age five. That's him. That's him. And then there's people that practice eight hours a day and they become prodigies from the practice. So Chad's a little bit of all that. Yeah. But he's gifted. I mean, yeah. you know, like other people, other drummers look at him and they scratch their head and they're like, <laughs> "What is going on with that?" It's crazy. I want to jump to uh, one of my favorite songs from the new record,
3: "Dark Necessities," and we'll be back in just a moment to talk with Anthony Kiedis. And again, thank you for coming on, my man. Pleasure.
1: Hello, this is Albert Hammond Jr. from The Strokes,
2: and you're listening to Scott Lips on Lips LA.
3: Hi, we're back with Anthony Kiedis. Anthony, how are you doing, my man?
2: I am well, thank you.
3: Um, I almost feel that radio is almost like a lost art form. I, I had the um, pleasure of seeing Rodney Bingenheimer the other day at Rite Aid, which I was... Whoa, really, yeah, um, what a sighting. Yeah, I, a little, you know, I wanted him to be happy. He didn't look that happy, so... Um, but I think he was like the first guy to play you guys on the air, I feel like years ago.
2: <clears throat> Definitely the first guy to play us on real radio, commercial radio. Yeah. Uh, there, there may have been college radio. We had a, a pretty good run at college radio. Oh, you did? At, with our first couple of records. Okay. Um, your Loyal Amerimounts of the World. Yeah. But the first time I ever heard us on commercial radio was K Rock, and it was Rodney's show. Rodney on the Rock or something. I think it was Rodney on the Rock. It was, I, I think it was, and it was the song uh, "Fight Like a Brave" off our third cool. record. And what I, was that like? You uh, uh, like. uh, I was downtown. I turned it up. I rolled my windows down just to make sure the world could share this moment with me. Yeah, and um, and I, you know, I still get a kick out of hearing our music on the radio how could you not right i just i just do i don't always listen to it yeah but you know because it's just i've heard those songs so many times but when i see us come up on the screen i'm like yes we're out there
3: yeah i mean more than you know i hear it everywhere i hear it like because uh, it's actually when, it's cool when you're like friends with someone too and you <clears> hear <throat> the music and then it reminds me of your friend i hear it everywhere like randomly like and it's just it, you're not like you're probably not, yeah. You, like you said, you're not. You don't want to listen. Maybe you're not like consciously looking for it, whatever. But I feel like I hear the Chili Peppers like once every three days somewhere, somewhere. Good. So it's cool. And and musically, you guys have touched a lot of people and gotten a lot of people through a lot of hard times, which which I think is a really um, important thing. I'm sure you've heard that a lot. I feel like a song like "Under the Bridge" has really connected with millions and millions of people and gotten a lot of people through a lot of hard times. And when you hear stories like that, because I'm sure fans tell you stories all the time you know this song changed my life it really touched me it really helped me through a really hard time mm-hmm. it's got to feel great when you know you've helped people like that
2: yes it, it does <clears throat> i'm always appreciative and feel blessed to have been present to channel that song um, but i try not to think about it too much because i'm, I'm trying to move forward and and you know rec- have that happen again someday so yeah I don't dwell so much on the past. Um, I do take the time to appreciate when people want to communicate with me. I've heard all variety of stories. Um, You know, one of the ones that really stuck with me just because it was heavy uh, was a kid who died in a car crash, and his family reached out to me because they found in his cassette deck a Red Hot Chili Peppers tape which was being cranked as. His last moment on Earth, and they're wow. like, "We just want you to know, there's someone out listening to your music, and you were a big part of his life." And it's like, well, that's just touching,
3: but so heavy. It's anyway. Touching and yeah. heavy. Yeah, like, yeah. what w- can you say to that? My God. Well, so the process. Take us through the process, and so you're doing this record now. You guys normally mm-hmm. rehearse for what three months or something before you do a new record?
2: There's no rules, but usually,
3: and, is there like, a, is it usually like a long period of time or a short period of time? Or I know there's no rules, but like, yeah, I generally mean, speaking, is it months? Would you say that you rehearse him for a new I record? Hope, I,
2: hope it's a, I hope we work intensely and quickly. So I, what, like, I like getting the job done. And it, I feel like if you give yourself too much time, you'll take all that time. Yeah. And you won't necessarily get more work done and like riffs are brought in or is everything
3: like a jam from the beginning or a song both, both. Okay,
2: everything under the sun cool. a word could be brought in right right a, a picture could be brought in a note could be brought in an instrument could be brought I think maybe we should write a song on this funny <laughs> instrument <laughs> um, that was Josh yeah. there. <clears throat> but a, a riff um, I have this idea on the piano it kind of like sounds like this but it's open and everything anything you want to bring in uh, I think we should watch this movie and then write a song or and do you listen to new music to get inspired? Because
3: I've had many conversations with you about social media and where culture is going in social media. Mm-hmm. Like, because social media, I know mm-hmm. that's something you don't, don't really mm-hmm. need to be on. But mm-hmm. but do you listen to a lot of new music, would you say? I listen to everything I, I run into. Okay. Um, where do you discover new music? Like
2: uh, The barbershop. Okay. Uh, YouTube. YouTube. Um,
3: the car. I'm sure Everly, you know, turns you on to new music. My son, <laughs> such a good dancer that yeah. little boy is, yeah. Um,
2: yes, you know. Uh,
3: Does he ever turn you on to music? And you're like, wow, I never heard of this genre. There's so many subgenres. He's, music.
2: You know, what he hears is the straight-up top 40 pop. Right. Which that doesn't that really doesn't do get to through to me. Yeah. Um, just because it's so formulaic mm. in general. Um, the, the formula thing yeah. just doesn't, doesn't stir work. me. But um, it, it, if he likes it, I'm down for him. Yeah. If it makes him happy, that's you know that's what music is there for. But so. when
3: you want to, if you get home, you like I just want to listen to something that's going to really inspire me and pick me up. Is it Marvin Gaye? Is it like is it? It could, be, <laughs> it, it, could, I've heard it could be the Sex Pistols, the Marvin Gaye. But is there like stuff that it's not new music, right? Necessarily
2: that you're. Uh, no, music? I would listen to Frank Ocean for inspiration. Oh, okay. That's um, sort of new. You, by the way, Flea and Josh both uh turn me on to new stuff all the time especially when we're touring if a good new record comes out yeah we'll engage the uh, unknown mortal orchestra got through to me the other day oh cool well
3: i i feel like when you started the band there wasn't a lot of bands that were merging those genres of music and i say hip-hop because your singing style was like rapping Mm. and and it sort of evolved from then Mm -hmm. a lot but yeah so you were clearly listening to hip-hop back in the day too right I was. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a big, would you say it was a big inspiration for you? Like, uh, you It's
2: why we started the band. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Grandmaster Flash, because <clears throat> I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't studying to be a musician, but all of my friends were. Yeah. And by proximity, I was exposed to their musical journeys. And then I, something, when I heard Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, I was like, hmm, I think I might be able to do this. Like it was so arousing to me. Yeah. That vocal style. You know, just talking about your street life and your, your, your people, and that when uh, it finally got suggested, you know, why don't you let Anthony try a song? And everybody that was already playing music and why would we let him try a song? He doesn't. He's not a musician. Right. Well, just maybe he's got something to say. Right. And so they kind of agreed. They conceded. They capitulated. They bowed down to this suggestion, and uh, and that's what started our band so yeah kind of Grandmaster Flash was, was gave me the green light to uh, to o- go for open it, yeah. my mouth yeah and and scene wise because
3: obviously it was such a different vibrant scene in the mid late 80s from mm-hmm. musically in California mm-hmm. to where it is today um, it's something I could talk about for hours but how has it changed? I remember club lingerie when I first moved here it was 1987. I was a kid, and I think you guys were already sort of you. Had, I think you were in a, started uh, 83, 84. Is that we when it started? We started 83, yeah, 83. Right, so. You know, how has it changed? Because obviously, people used to wait online for hours to get into clubs. There was Club Lingerie. People would be like waiting for hours in anticipation to get into rock clubs. I mean, do you notice the change where music has gone, like, especially in California? Because I see you guys as almost like, even though you're not necessarily from LA, one of the quintessential rock bands that came out of California Mm -hmm. in the last 20, 30 years. Well,
2: I mean, our band is from LA. Yeah. I mean,
3: you're from Michigan, but I still see your band
2: as being LA. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, uh two of our founding members were from LA. Okay. And then two were transplants, but we came in the seventies, so pretty LA. Um the scene has certainly changed. But thank God, yeah. if it stayed the same, it would be pretty boring. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think the creative um spirit ever goes away. I think it just keeps morphing and transmogrifying into something different and new and the clubs change and you know, for a while, Spaceland, and then right. it became The Smell downtown. And there's always the somebody... Scream. The Scream, remember that place? Way back when, yeah, The Scream. Yeah. Giving that a shout out. There, yeah. Um, yeah. I think people are, are forever going to want to tinker with music, whether it's electronic music or rock music or whatever it is. I don't think that's ever going to go away. It's just going to keep finding a new home. Yeah. So, yeah, it's different. You know, when we were... Uh, in our teens and young 20s we would line up for the whiskey or the roxy or the lingerie or the scream or whatever and hang out and there was more of a scene definitely it was but everything was different at that time it was less gentrified less homogenized less branded it was more about let's just go have fun and people weren't you know they didn't have such a a preconceived outcome of what they were going for let's just do it right now and see what happens That's true. I feel like
3: some of the passion for rock and roll has migrated to South America. Mm. I feel like South America and, <laughs> right I feel like Brazil <laughs> South America, like they're so passionate about rock there you you know especially yeah, so don't you, I feel like that they never lost the passion for rock and roll there in fact, I feel like it was like amplified almost
2: yes, South America is passionate about the rock music, by the way, so is most of the world, yeah like. Outside of the U.S., outside even, of the U.S., you, yeah. but U.S. has always been musically cutting edge. Yeah, I mean the, the the inventors of rock music and jazz music and many other things. But
3: when you play for audiences though in South America, you got to admit they're like crazy over there, right? They're
2: way more heated, yeah, in, in general, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we're not struggling here either. No, 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 definitely not. We had
3: some good times. I don't think you've ever struggled (laughs) audience-wise as a fan. Was one of your best, if you had to really sort of recollect one of your best moments from a
2: live perspective, would you say Mm. would be Hyde Park? Uh, Hyde Park was a a monumental run for us because we played three days in a row. Um, it was also monumental because we got to play with James Brown.
3: Right, right. He opened for you, I think. From what uh, I mean, let's, sort just, of. let's
2: just say we shared the bill. Okay. I would never say James Brown opened for us. But he us. played before you. Did. He played before us, right. but we shared the bill. Okay. Let's say we co-headlined. Right. And then he like died, I think, a year later. So he died like, less than a year later. Yeah. So that was yeah. in the summertime, and he died on Christmas Eve. Wow. <clears throat> and I cried my eyes out. I woke up and found out he was gone, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's,
3: yeah. So that stands out in <clears> your, your head as like one of the most iconic things uh, you ever done.
2: It was iconic because it was Hyde Park, which yeah. was already iconic. And we had the three day run. It was, it was daytime. It was fun. James Brown was there. I got to meet and hang out and talk to James How Brown. How was he? Was he-, he was on another level. Right. As as a musician, as a human being, as a his experience was just next level. So I right. sat there and listened and tried to take it all in and wow. Yeah, he was like um he had transcended, wow. you know, even yeah. even his his glow, his aura, his skin, it was otherworldly. Wow. James Brown. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I used to live in another strange fact, I used to live in the same building as Bobby Womack in Sherman <laughs> Oaks. So we were friends, or friend, as friendly as like I could be with him. But mm. he liked me because he knew I was a musician. So I used to go over to his apartment. I had no idea what he was talking about. Okay, but I would sit and listen to him talk, and I tried to extrapolate, you know, words of wisdom from it because he wrote with the Stones and all yeah, these yeah. people back there So it was cool. So yeah, so I'm sure some of those guys like they're. I mean, how do you even get into, like, what they created? It was a genre of music. It was incredible. <laughs> um, but that's pretty cool. So so that stands out in your mind. And obviously, um, I've never personally graduated, but, yeah, the 2012 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, pretty monumental for mm-hmm. you, right? That must have felt pretty amazing, you know, to, to get to see, like, your family and friends, like, welcome that to you, right? Yeah, I it think. was
2: fun, and it was kind of um, a nice coincidence or whatever that we ended up... Joining the same year that the Beastie Boys joined, all right, albeit without Adam Yauch. Yeah, that was kind of the the anguished part of it. But yeah. um, you know, we grew up with the Beastie Boys, yeah, and there was always this kind of competitive East Coast West Coast. You know, let's make a better record than the Beastie Boys. Let's make a better record than them. And we, but quietly, we admired the hell out of them yeah. because they were prolific and they were themselves and they were funky and they were in. Ventive and you know, they just had it. Yeah. Um, so to, to be inducted is the same year with them was amazing. Great. I feel
3: like you're friends with Mike D. He lives in Malibu.
2: Yes, I love Mike. Yeah. We we share the waves together. Yeah. And uh fatherhood and many other things
3: that's cool so now your life obviously the surfing is a big part of your life and and a big part of like who you are in nature and being (laughs) connected to that right it's true
2: right Uh, i've always felt connected to nature but but
3: like like surfing is i don't know how long have you been surfing for i don't actually know 11 years wow and but i feel like it's almost like a daily thing you do when you can i'm sure right
2: it's a when you can thing because there's not waves every day yeah it's you know dependent on faraway storms but
3: it probably brings you a lot because you can't do it all the time when you're on the road so you probably have like a a great sense of joy when you're able to do that like on a daily basis when you're home and not not playing i imagine
2: it's it's, i love it so much yeah Yeah.
3: you know how many times i've asked i told you that i can't swim but i definitely (laughs) want you to teach me one day um so this this year so let's talk about 2019 for Mm. a minute so obviously you got uh you're writing a new record hopefully it'll come out sometime next year we actually Um, start on monday okay officially so it'll almost definitely come out next year i think um or Good yes. chance.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, next year, I mean,
3: correct. Yeah, and, and there's very few things that you haven't accomplished and done, but is there anything like next year you really want to do that you're like, I really want to do this, or I feel like I really want to accomplish this next
2: year or something? I do, I do. I have something that I would like to accomplish. I okay. want to write really good songs.
3: Well, that's. I feel you do that a lot, but I, but I want to do it now. You want to do it now, yeah. yeah. So, so you're in the writing phase. That's cool. Yes. So cool. So I'm super excited to uh, to be able to get to hear what's going on with the new record. And last but not least, I just wanted to talk about your connection to like what fashion means to you because i know you did a mark jacobs campaign a couple years ago mm, mm. um i was fortunate enough to do some pictures with you a couple of years ago which was one of the greatest photo shoots i ever did thank you mm. um and um i don't know it, i know it plays a big role in like so because you're not like it's not like you talk about it or but i mean you have great style the bands always had great style i know you're into like very cool brands and have a very cool sense of it you just did new york fashion week uh, you were there, right?
2: <laughs> I did you New York Fashion Day.
3: Fashion Day, Band yeah. of Outsiders, was it? Or was it um no, I went
2: to the Libertine Show. Libertine Show, show. sorry, yeah. sorry.
3: I don't know why I said it. Band of Outsiders I don't think is in existence anymore. Um so that's brand those are brands that you like. And and fashion for you, is it, it played a big role in your life? Do you think of it not so much as like something important to you or is I, it important to so? you? I love
2: I love fashion, but I'm not in love with corporate fashion. Okay. I, I can't subscribe to the Gucci, 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 Versace, Versace, right. Versace. I just like who cares? It's like so you got a lot of money, you can buy some expensive stuff. That is not passionate or creative or interesting. That's anyone can do it. Yeah, you'd rather seek out
0: I love designers people that, that you make
2: like. that make their own clothes or yeah. they take a des- designer thing or a non designer thing and turn it into something cool in themselves. Yeah, I, I like seeing people that have their own style, their own expression, and it's not about how much. Money they have that they can afford the expensive stuff. Um, yeah, fashion is is just another art form, and, and it's it's amazing when you see someone step out and you're like, wow, they look amazing. And who would have thought of that? And you know,
3: yeah. And culturally, do you think that kids that are living on their phones now and things like that, do you think it's like bad for culture? Because obviously, we grew up in a time when that wasn't the case. Everyone's everyone's whole life is on display now. Yeah, so it, we, it, it
2: makes it it makes it more difficult to be unique and original and yourself because yeah. it's you know, everybody gets exposed to everything um, which is tricky yeah you know, but that's for music too right right um, Joe Walsh was talking about how the internet killed rock and roll because now you just press a button and you can hear it all but you know you used to have to work for it and live for right. it and breathe for it yeah. and you know, sweat for it and bleed for it and come for it and everything. Yeah. And now it's just like, oh, there it is on the internet. <laughs> right. um, so it's it's a little less weighty. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. We'll get through it.
3: Well, uh, it's it's definitely a strange time period. Um, let's jump to uh, give it away. Red Hot Chili Peppers. We're here with Anthony Kiedis, and we'll come back. And again, thank you for coming on, my man.
1: Hey there, this is Brandon Boyd from the band Incubus and you're listening to Scott Lips on Lips LA.
3: We're back and uh, we're with Anthony Kiedis and uh, just wrapping up here, um, Anthony, it was so great to have you here. Um, I just played a couple tracks. Do you have a favorite track from the new record, by the way? The last record? Uh, I know the new one you're writing.
2: You know what? I like um, Dreams of the Samurai. Okay. It's not my favorite track. But I, it's one that you... I, just, I like playing it live. Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: And you like, is that like one of your favorite, if you had, I know you don't have favorites again, they're all like your kids, (laughs) but live wise too. So I want to jump to that track in one second, Mm -hmm. but is there also another track? I want to play one other last track. That's a real favorite of yours to play live.
2: Um, I love playing go robot live. Uh, dark necessities is actually the apex of our show in my opinion, but I think we already played that. Um, yeah.
3: So yeah. let's uh, let's close out. Let's play uh, Go Robot. Thanks so much, brother. I really appreciate you coming by. You're listening to Live Sale with Anthony Kiedis, Red Hot Chili Peppers. All
2: right, we're loose. We're loose. All right.
3: In Lauren Lake's courtroom,
1: there is no nonsense.
2: Don't talk when I'm talking.
1: Just results.
2: Mr. Jackson, you are the father. (laughs) Live it, own it, be it. You see it?
1: Listen to Lauren Lake's Paternity Court on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Selwyn. You may remember me as a host from ESPN, Attack of the Show, or even Immortalized, that competitive taxidermy show on AMC. We lasted one episode. Anyway, three times a week, I'm bringing you the realest fake news of the day. It's the Saturday Night Live News Desk, but in an audible format. Listen to the Audio Up News Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.